Argentina's Senate has voted to legalize abortion in a landmark ruling that could have repercussions across Latin America. Just south of the border, in one of the most Catholic countries in the world, Mexico's Supreme Court made waves, voting unanimously to decriminalize abortions. Tonight, across Colombia, abortion supporters celebrating after the nation's high court legalized abortion until the 24th week of pregnancy, some calling the move historic. As abortion access gets more restricted in the U.S., Latin America is moving in a different direction. Since Argentina legalized abortion at the end of 2020, the social and political pressure to decriminalize it has been growing. It's a significant shift in a region where the Catholic Church, which opposes abortion, has a major influence on politics and public opinion. A movement called the Green Wave has spread to courts in Mexico and Colombia. Now activists are looking to Chile and Brazil to be next. So what's been the strategy behind Latin America's growing abortion rights? And what impact could the reversal of Roe v. Wade have on the rest of the Americas and abroad. After the break, we discuss the strategy behind Latin America's growing abortion rights and what impact the reversal of Roe v. Wade could have on the rest of the Americas and abroad. You're listening to the 1A Podcast. I'm David Gura, in for Jen White. Remember to join future conversations, download our 1A Vox Pop app, and leave us a voicemail. This message comes from NPR sponsor, BetterHelp. Stress shows up in all kinds of ways. In a world that's telling you to do more, sleep less, and grind all the time, here's your reminder to take care of yourself, do less, and maybe try some therapy. BetterHelp is committed to helping you in times of stress with customized online therapy. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com 1A and see if it helps life feel a little bit easier. We're discussing the growing expansion of abortion rights in Latin America. Joining us from Bogota, Colombia, is Julie Turkowitz, the Andes Bureau Chief at the New York Times. Thanks for being with us. Thanks so much. And Cor Fernandez Anderson is a professor of comparative politics at Mount Holyoke College. She's also the author of the book, Fighting for Abortion Rights in Latin America. It's great to have you with us as well. Thank you for having me. Cor, let me start with you. Uh, you grew up in Argentina, and I wonder what your reaction was to that law when it was passed early in the morning uh, in late December 2020. How did you react to, to the scene that you saw then and, and the protest movement that led to it? Yeah, so I was born and, and raised in Argentina. I came to the U.S. when I was 27, and this is 20 years ago. Um, so what happened, you know, uh, was not completely surprising for me because I've been studying this movement since 2007 when I started um, researching for my dissertation. Um, but of course, you know, it was very exciting to finally see, you know, the, 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 the results of like 15 years of struggle. Um, in particular, you know, because this showed a society that um, has evolved and changed so much from the one that I grew up at. Julie Turkowitz, uh, how much was that? What happened in Argentina, a catalyst for what we've seen uh, in other countries across Latin America? So emblematic uh, is this green bandana associated with that movement in Argentina. We've seen that um, now show up in, in other countries, other capitals uh, as well. Um, what, what sort of line should we draw between what happened in Argentina and what we've seen in other countries? Sure. Um, you know, I think that you can draw a direct line between what happened in Argentina and what happened later in Mexico and then now in, in Colombia. Um, you know, for, for, for decades now, abortion rights activists have in Latin America have been looking at ways to make this happen. And I think what Argentina did was really show that it was 
possible, right? And what we saw in 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 Colombia really was this generation of women that is the most educated and the least religious of any, you know, generation in sort of modern Colombian history looking towards other countries and this is also sort of like the most connected I would say both regionally and internationally connected generation and so looking towards uh, Argentina and saying okay I, I think we can do this. Cora uh, on that note uh, this was not the first time that, that Argentina weighed this that there'd been a vote on this um, what were the, the barriers that, that, that were on the way to this that um, you know were political barriers social barriers that sort of were in- impeding this happening for, for many years? Yeah. Yeah. So as I said, you know, the well, I would say just to acknowledge the earlier efforts, like there were already feminists that were struggling mm-hmm. to uh, legalize abortion already right after democratization in 1983. So in the early 80s, but the movement didn't reach, you know, like more visibility and growth until the after 2000. So the campaign to legalize abortion, you know, once um, they, they set the activists to um, define a clear strategy that both, you know, raise consciousness and tries to destigmatize the practice in society and then also pass a legal reform, the movement actually also drafts their own bill. Um, so the bill that is presented in Congress has been um, really an, an, an effort of, you know, uh, horizontality and, 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 and democraticness within the movement of drafting this together. And this movement is launched in 2005. So it did take 15 years uh, for this to happen. It was not easy. The bill was introduced in Congress uh, many times, between seven or eight times. And for many years, it was always ignored, never introduced in the uh, congressional agenda. So, you know, it just died um, um, there in Congress. And it was in 2018 that was the first time this bill uh, enters the congressional agenda. But in that moment, you know, it enters because the movement have gained so much growth and visibility that um, they have already, you know, uh, succeeded in making the conversation about abortion happen in, you know, every single household, in the media, you know, the protests were uh, bringing millions of people in the streets. So that made it possible for Congress to really start paying attention. Until that time, politicians have mostly ignored the issue. Um, It was considered um, an electorally costly issue that uh, it will, you know, send votes away from your candidacy. So most politicians, with a few, you know, exceptions of some very, you know, feminist um, and committed to, to, to the issue in Congress, most of them just shy away from it. And seeing the movement growth, seeing the millions of people in the streets obviously led to uh, more legislators being in line with this and say, okay, we can have a conversation. But in 2018, it was not enough. You know, mm. the, the bill passes in the lower chamber, but is rejected by the Senate. However, that I think was the big landmark, <laughs> like the marker of like, well, this is going to happen very soon. And the activists acknowledge it very clearly. They say, well, we lost in the Senate, but we won in society. And they have this statement that they always say that is abortion has already been decriminalized in society. And now it's just time. We have to wait some time until Congress and, you know, the political system catches up to this shift that happened in society. And they were right because it was just two more years and and the bill was finally, you know, passed and abortion legalized in December of 2020. Julie Turkowitz, I want to get your thoughts on something that Cora Fernandez-Anderson mentioned there just a moment ago, and that is sort of narrowing and refining a strategy here. And you've, you've written about this in the pages of, of The Times, uh, how 
A, that was done, and B, that became a model for, for other protest movements. Um, what, what was it about how it was refined that, that made it so effective, yes, and also so easily replicatable? Yeah. You know, I think that the story that I have heard from abortion rights activists in Latin America is really a story of ping-ponging ideas. Cora, I'm not sure if you've seen it this way, but, uh, you know, the 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 Colombian uh, feminist activists I spoke with pointed out that Colombia was really ahead uh, of the game, I guess you could say, in Latin America in terms of opening the door to abortion in that in 2006, the Constitutional Court passed or uh, issued a ruling that allowed for abortion to be uh allowed for abortion in certain cases, is the cases of rape, cases of incest, cases in which the mother's life was in danger. And f- that kind of ruling or that kind of regulation had been on the books in other nations, but it had been rarely used. And when that ruling went into place in Colombia, the sort of feminist activists who were behind it really decided, okay, we're going to use this ruling. We're going to open the door so that women can actually access abortions under this sort of limited abortion rights framework. Mm-hmm. And I heard from feminist activists in Argentina that they then took that idea uh, of using those what they call the, the causales or exceptions mm-hmm. that allowed women to access abortion in some ways. And so we have a quote in one of our stories uh, from, a, from a feminist activist in Argentina saying, you know, we learn from the Colombians. And then I think what the Colombians told me that they really learned from Argentine women was this street activism that Cora is talking about. And that um, my understanding is that there's a strong sort of um, a strong culture of sort of street protest and activism generally in Argentina and that women really took this uh, to the streets and made it visible and as Cora is saying, sort of one in society and Colombian women starting around 2016, 2017, 2018 really started taking that from the Argentines and saying, okay, we're going to do this too. And there was a very concerted public uh, relations and public awareness strategy that had not really been employed in the same way in Colombia. In Colombia in the past, the strategy had been more about getting things through the courts. We'll be back with more of our conversation on abortion rights and Latin America in just a moment. A reminder to have your questions answered on future topics or to just let us know what you think, tweet us at 1A. Let's get back to the conversation. Julie, I want to return to Colombia, if I could, and uh, ask you a bit about what, what happened there. Of course, abortion legalized up to 24 weeks and uh, was one of the more progressive court decisions on abortion so far. Our producer, Sofia Alvarez-Boyd, spoke to Mariana Ardila, one of the plaintiffs that defended this decision in front of Colombia's constitutional court. Uh, and she said one of the successes to winning that case came from the public. We got a legal win. But more importantly, we saw that through the the proceedings at the court, we saw a shift in public opinion, actually uh, measured by polls, showing how the public support to decriminalize abortion and regulate it uh, by other means was increasing. And we saw also like people who have never expressed a public 
support to these actually doing it from the arts world uh, to actually politicians. So it's been a, a few months now since that decision, Julie Turkowitz, back in, in February. And I wonder what public opinion looks like in Colombia now, now that a few months have, have elapsed and uh, it seems like there's now sort of a, a regulatory burden placed on the, the Colombian government to uh, affect this, this recognition of or change to public policy. Yeah. Um, I want to go back a little bit to this question of how did this happen, because I think it is also related to the question of public opinion. Uh, I actually spoke to Mariana this morning to prepare myself a little bit for this. Uh, And, you know, I think there's two ways that uh, this, this decision was passed. The first was this concerted activism that we're talking about. Um, that really was uh, spearheaded by this generation of women that is the most educated, the least religious, uh, the most sort of regionally connected of, of any Colombian generation. And I think one, you know, one of their strategies really was a public opinion strategy. And I think we saw some of the same tactics that were used around gay marriage, right? Um, mm. These um, women activists really wanted to connect the issue of, of abortion in to to people in a very personal way and say this is your sister this is your daughter don't you want these people to have um the choice to do what they want with their lives and i think that that was a very powerful argument but the other thing that colombia had and this goes to what cora was saying about the the idea of activists sort of looking at the particular landscape in their own country is like uh, Colombia has a very um, uh, progressive constitutional court. And this is the court that makes the decisions about how to interpret the constitution. And it is generally, consi- it's very rights focused. It's very new. It it's, was passed in 1991. And it is traditionally, or it, or it is considered, and it has shown decisions that are generally ahead of the rest of the country in terms of um, of its of its uh, opinions on how rights should be interpreted. And so you saw a court that really was quite uh, interested in passing uh, in passing abortion rights and that is one of the reasons I think you see such a progressive decision in the in the Columbia case. Now the question of, how the rest of the country feels, I think, is a little bit more complex. Mm-hmm. There were surveys last year, one by the company Ipsos, uh, that said that while well, 82% of Colombian respondents supported abortion in some circumstances, so say a case of rape, um, only 26% supported abortion in all cases. And there was an even more recent uh, survey done by the firm Invamir. And they this particular survey showed that just 15% of the country agreed with allowing abortion up to 24 weeks. And something that I found was very interesting was that this was down from 26% before the, deci- before the court decision was made. And so I think what you still see is a pretty divided country on this issue. And I think there's a lot of gray areas where people feel okay with abortion in some circumstances, but maybe feel the constitutional court went farther than their current beliefs. And I think that's extremely relevant when we're looking at the issue of how this decision will actually play out. Because you know now the Ministry of Health 
uh, is going to be in charge of making sure that this uh, ruling is is carried out in the country. And of course, you know, it's it's going to basically be up to humans um, to to interpret this. And so I think we really the country, you know, people in the country who care about this issue will be looking towards who are the new elected officials who are about to come in. We're, we're in the middle of a, of a presidential campaign. And how are they, what kind of priority are they going to give to this issue? And how are they going to ask the Ministry of Health to carry out this decision? I was going to ask you about that. So so in this crucible of, of a presidential election, how much is that opposition manifest? How much is this something that candidates are, are talking about or nodding to or, um, you know, th- thinking about sort of w- what this might mean from a policy perspective going forward? For sure. Abortion has definitely become an issue in the election. I wouldn't say that it's as big as, say, in the United States, but it's definitely become an issue probably more than ever before. Uh, and right now we're looking at two leading candidates, um, one of whom is a candidate on the right, whose name is Fico Gutierrez, who has said that he opposes the uh, decriminalization decision of the court. And another candidate on the left, whose name is Petro Gustavo Petro, mm-hmm. who has come out in favor of the decision, but was somewhat reluctant to do so and has really been pushed by his vice presidential candidate, who is a woman, to support uh, decriminalization. And and so again, I think once you know the election is May 29th, there may be a runoff on June 19th. And I think once that uh, person um, becomes president, which will be at the end of, or at the beginning of August, mm-hmm. uh, we're good, people who care about this issue are really going to be looking to who is appointed to to run the Ministry of Health and what are their views on this particular issue. Cora, I, I, I want to pick up on something that Julie was just talking about, and that is sort of how all of this plays out after the decision is made and and. I wonder if you could give us your perspective on sort of how the public health landscape, um, how the sort of um, public awareness of or opinion of abortion rights has changed or altered uh, since that decision was made back in 2020. Yeah, one one thing that I can highlight, you know, maybe in comparison or or that is different than what um, she is mentioning around the case of Colombia is that, as I was mentioning, in the case of Argentina, I think there was so much work done to work in raising um, the consciousness and destigmatization of abortion that already public opinion, like around the time of 2018, when the first bill goes um, in Congress, even even though it doesn't pass at that point, uh, was around, you know, I don't have the exact data uh, here to cite, but around like 60% in favor of legalization. Um, And I think that's why activists are able to say, well, society has decriminalized abortion. You know, the shift has happened. Um, And so then, you know, the legal reform only confirms what, you know, most or the majority of uh, people in Argentina were were asking for and in favor of. Um, I haven't seen like, you know, there's definitely like a backlash. There have been attempts since legalization of um, bringing the issue back into the in the courts and saying, well, this is an unconstitutional law, but they have all... um, all those claims um, have gone uh, nowhere. They have been uh, rejected by the different uh, judicial um, uh, instances. Um, so I think at this moment, um, I, I cannot envision any either reversal or um, or will to to change uh, this this legalization in Argentina. Julie, I want to ask you about sort of the resonance of this moment here in the United States across Latin America, and I'll read a line from one of your recent pieces, a, a coda at the end of it. 
Nearly all the activists interviewed said that Roe v. Wade had been a touchstone for them, leading them to believe that the legal system could be used to help women gain greater control over their lives. Uh, I think you wrote elsewhere that activists in the U.S. are also following the changes in the region, and it strikes me that's such a dramatic reversal from what one would have thought before. Just that question about resonance, how did the news that this leaked draft opinion uh, indicated that the court is on its way to overturning Roe versus Wade, how did that ring out across, yes, Latin America broadly, but in, in the communities that you've been covering of activists who have been pushing for more abortion rights in Latin America? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it's it's really mixed. Um, you know, I, I definitely after this uh, after this February decision in Colombia to decriminalize abortion, I think there was a lot of pride among uh, abortion rights activists who said, uh, yes, we took inspiration from Roe v. Wade, but this is very much our own fight now. And in fact, we are taking the baton or we have the baton now and we are going to sort of be the the these symbols of, of, of those who are standing up for abortion rights in the region. We are going to be the beacons that, say, abortion rights activists look from the U.S. look to. Um, and I think that there are, I was, when I was, Mariana sent me a message this morning and said that, you know, she doesn't see the decision in Colombia being reversed. Technically, the constitutional court cannot reverse the decision. Although, you know, as we've seen around the world, um, things can happen, right? And, um, but but she, she sees it standing firm. I think, of course, the question is a little bit, what I was talking about is how is this going to play out? And will you know, what happens in the U.S. does influence uh, policymakers and um, politicians and others. And so, you know, if the U.S. uh, doesn't necessarily see abortion rights as a priority, will other policymakers around the world make uh, abortion rights a a priority? Mm. Uh, So I think it's, I think there's, I think there's pride. I think there's concern about what's happening in the U.S., um, I think there's concern about whether what might happen in uh, in at least Colombia, which is what I can best speak to. Sure. And you know, we should I should also point out that I I do think that the on the other side of it, we're seeing uh, abortion opponents who you know have really seen some blows in recent years. If mm-hmm. you look at Argentina, if you look at Mexico, if you look at at Colombia, now saying, hey, maybe the tide hasn't fully turned for us. And, um, you know, these groups have long taken inspiration from abortion opponents in the United States, have long used some of the same language and tactics. And, uh, you know, I, I would expect that we will see that uh, in, in different parts of Latin sure. America in the next, um, in the next couple of months and, and years. Corey, let me turn to you, sort of playing off of what Julie just said, and, and that is what, what countries, as you look across Latin America, are poised to potentially expand abortion rights uh, next? So there are, of course, some that still have restrictive, restrictive laws and it, it is criminalized. Where do you see movement happening here in the, in the months and years to come? Yeah, one case that we haven't talked about is Chile, yeah. um, which is very interesting uh, because Chile had a total ban on abortion until 2017. Uh, in 2017, they were able to pass um, a law in Congress that allowed like uh, three exceptions, you know, similar to the 
what, what Julie was talking about Colombia um, and with the court allowing like just like very restrictive exceptions. Uh, then last year there was a bill to legalize abortion on demand, you know, with no um, particular reasons uh, given, but it failed in Congress. But now Chile is going through a process of writing a new constitution. There's a constitutional convention and, and the draft that the convention has uh, voted in favor had just included and explicitly mentioned the right to interrupt a pregnancy in the constitution. So if this constitution um, ends up being uh, approved because there's gonna be a popular vote uh, coming up in the coming months um, so that all the Chileans will say, we want this new constitution or not. If this one is approved, it will be the first country in the Americas that will have explicitly mentioned the right to interrupt a pregnancy, the right to abortion in the constitution. So that will be like a really a very a major step. So so that is where like the next, um, I think, uh, things are happening. There have been some movement in Ecuador as well, um, you know, uh, extending also some exceptions. Um, but those are the countries that I'm seeing. The countries in which there hasn't been much uh, change than actually um, in the late 1990s or, or early 2000s actually have restricted um, uh, access to abortion even more are the Central American countries, so Nicaragua, El Salvador, Honduras. In those, we've seen a, a reversal. Uh, they had like very few exceptions. They had only, you know, ex uh, illegal abortion for when the life of the pregnant person was at risk and that was removed and they went into a total ban. So those are countries that we need for feminist movements to mobilize and try to push for some change, even if it's like limited, uh, but, but total bans are really causing um, a lot of, of, of you know, uh, death and lack of access uh, to healthcare um, and, and health complications for so many people there. Julie Turkowitz, a last question here, just for some broader context, and I think a lot of people will think of the sizable Catholic and Protestant evangelical populations in Latin America and wonder about how that complements or has driven what we've seen here. And I know you've written about sort of broader secularization across Latin America. What should listeners know just about sort of this, this sea change, this religious sea change that's underway and how that's affecting or shaping policy when it comes to abortion rights in Latin America? Yeah, um, I actually, this, that uh, leads to a point that I wanted to make, which I think is really a really interesting trend that's happening across Latin America. You know, um, Latin America, and I can speak specifically to South America, has basically for the last couple of years gone back and forth between a leftist swing and a rightist swing and a leftist swing. And right now we're really seeing a swing to the left politically across South America. What is interesting to me and I think relates to, to your question is that in the past, the sort of quote-unquote old-school leftist, it was not necessarily required of them by their voting public that they be progressive on social issues. Mm -hmm. um, I think that um, Chavez in, in Venezuela is an example of that. I've written about abortion in, in, in Venezuela and he was basically silent on the issue and often asked... Um, feminists to sort of put their demands to the side while, uh, you know, they worked towards his larger leftist cause. And what you're seeing now, and I think Chile is an example of that, you're seeing these um, new leftist leaders where the, the, their sort of um, voting populace, their supporters are demanding that they are more progressive on issues like um, like abortion. And I think that, that 
um, Gustavo Petro in Colombia is an example of that. This is an individual who is has really been the sort of uh, torchbearer for the Colombian left, um, but has been sort of uh, not that into supporting um, uh, abortion rights in a really you know loud way, and yeah. has been pushed by a sort of more progressive feminist wing uh, in his party sure. to support abortion rights. Corey, if I could, I'd love to draw on your academic expertise looking at comparative politics and sort of what this moment teaches us about uh, abortion as abortion rights as a political issue across Latin America. Uh, we've talked about sort of the, the, the magnitude of these protest movements and, and what's changed. What specifically does it tell you as someone who has studied this region, has studied politics across Latin America just about the salience of this issue, its acceptability as a political issue, uh, and sort of, you know, we, we were touching upon it just a few moments ago with, with Julie about sort of how this is playing out in Colombia. Is it something that we are seeing candidates, if not embrace, be more willing to engage with than they have been in, in the past? Yeah, in the case of Argentina, I would say that, as I mentioned before, that politicians used to shy away from the issue of abortion, but the movement and the growth of the movement made them look twice now and say, well, they are a large you know, constituency here that are interested in this issue. And this is why, you know, until 2019 that we had presidential elections, um, um, it was the first time that like a president actually included the issue of legalizing abortion on demand in the platform. And that was the, the, the president, the candidate that won the election, the current president of Argentina, Alberto Fernandez. And, you know, he claimed at that time that he had always been in favor of abortion, but, you know, he might, we, we can't, you know, really tell what was his private position, but it was the first time that he publicly introduced it as part of the platform. So this is, you know, very telling that he just read the political landscape. He saw the 2018, you know, millions of people in the streets and the strength of that movement and, and the mobilization that happened. So, you know, he picked up on that and decided, well, this is the time in which this can also be, um, um, you know, uh, electorally beneficial, mm. beneficial for, for the campaign. So I don't think, you know, those, those things are disconnected. So, yes, definitely politicians are paying attention to the growth of feminism uh, in Latin America. And that this, this relates to what Julie was mentioning, that left-wing um, presidents and parties in the past um, most of the time used to ignore this issue. Uh, but now, you know, we're seeing a new left, again, with the example of Chile, you know, the president, Gabriel Boric, that was recently elected former leader of the student movement that is creating this new left that is a sure. green left, you know, like really really very in touch with environmental issues uh, in comparison with the older left that has been supportive of extractivism activities. And also it's a feminist left. You know, they really are embracing feminism as one of the organizing principles of their political mm. parties. So if this expands from Chile to the rest of Latin America, yes, we're, we're, we're going to be seeing, you know, politicians much more committed to, to for example, the right to an abortion. Cora Fernandez-Anderson, a professor of politics at Mount Holyoke College, and Julie Turkowitz of the New York Times. The program comes to you from WAMU, which is part of American University in Washington. It's distributed by NPR. I'm David Gura. Let's talk more soon. This is 1A.